Honored to be here. Uh, let me go ahead and get this out of the way. Uh, I don't know if you've ever booed a speaker, but go ahead and get ready. Uh, I'm a Gamecock fan. Grew up a Gamecock fan. Let's go. Let's go. It's fine. We're all on Team Jesus, so you can just stop with that. My, uh, my son is eight. This is the reason I tell you that. Is my son is eight, and I told him I was coming to preach at Clemson, and he's dead serious in my truck riding with me, eight-year-old. He's like, you go preach. You don't talk to anybody. You come straight home. You're supposed to despise those people. That's what my eight-year-old said. So I'm doing a terrible job as a Christian father and an excellent job raising a Carolina redneck fan as if the world needs another one of those. That's right. Uh, let, me, let me give you the main idea up front today. The main idea is that it's never over. Your story is never over with Jesus. And so we're going to be in John chapter 21 tonight, but I got a story uh, before we go, before we get started, I want you to listen to my wife and I have three children, 13, 10, and 8. And when we were pregnant, not we, when my wife was pregnant with our middle child, uh, she started having contractions one night and she was nine months pregnant and she woke up and she said, hey, it's time to go to the hospital. And I'm thinking, this is no big deal. This is our second kid. We've done this before. And so I go downstairs and I start putting the car seat into the car. It's time to go to the hospital. She's getting packed. She's getting ready to go. But when I get back upstairs, my wife's contractions have gone from 10 minutes apart to 10 seconds apart. So I barely get her down the stairs. I barely get her into the car and we start towards the hospital. It's 2 a.m. I'm flying in the car. There's nobody else on the road. Courtney's in tons of pain. And she says, Ryan, you need to pray out loud right now that this baby doesn't come out in the car. And I think I said something really profound like, hold it in. <laughs> She's like, I'm trying to hold it in. And I said, woman, quit with the... No, that's not what I said. I didn't say that. Uh, I was like, I, I, apparently holding a baby in is not the same as holding it in when you have to go to the bathroom. I'm like, hold it in. I'm praying out loud and we're speeding and Courtney is screaming and she says, you need to call 911. And so I call 911. They're absolutely no help. I need them to tell me what to do. Do I need to pull over and wait on an ambulance? Do I need to keep driving? Tell me what to do. Should I drop Courtney off and go drink at a bar somewhere? Tell me what to do. And so I'm on the phone with 911. We're driving down 378 in Lexington, South Carolina. And Courtney, my wife, looks at me and says, oh my gosh, Ryan, the baby is out. I wish I was making this up. <laughs> Trust me. I look over. My wife's in the front seat. Everybody's like, why is she in the front seat? We didn't know the baby was coming out. She's in the front seat. She's holding our baby in the front seat while I'm driving the car. I don't know if you've ever had a moment where like what's happening right now is not supposed to happen. I don't know if you've ever had that moment. This is my moment. I remember thinking, this is not supposed to happen. I honestly remember thinking like, my baby girl's gonna die. Like I, I, I don't know what to do here. I'm 15 minutes, 10, 15 minutes from the hospital. I remember thinking I might actually make the decision that cost her her life. You want to talk about pressure? Like maybe I should stop and wait on an ambulance or maybe that's dumb. Maybe I should keep going and try to make it to the hospital. What if the umbilical cord's wrapped around her neck? Like I don't know what to do. I remember thinking this thing is over. 
several miles from the hospital, baby born in the front seat. The story's over. I'm like, maybe my little girl's story's over before it even begins. For the disciples of Jesus, when Jesus is dead, hanging from a cross, the story seems like it's over. They had left everything to follow Jesus, but now he's dead. He's beaten with a whip that has pieces of metal and bone in it. He's spit on. He's mocked. He's slapped and he's beaten with closed fists. His hands and his feet are nailed to a cross. A spear is shoved into his side. A corpse is hanging from two pieces of wood. And they take his dead body and they wrap it up and they put it in a sealed grave. The story's over. But we know the story. Like, Easter happens. We just celebrated Easter 18 days ago. We, we know the story. I, I would imagine the majority of this room was in a church on Easter Sunday. We celebrate him defeating death. We celebrate him being raised from the dead, just like he said he would. The ladies go to the tomb. They run back and they tell the men, disciples, what had happened. But there's a verse in the Bible that says the story sounded like nonsense to them. And they did not believe. So the question for tonight, really quickly, is do you believe? Like, like, do you believe in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus? Or is it just nonsense to you? I think you want to believe it. I, I think when you go to a funeral of someone you love, you want to believe that the resurrection is real. You want to believe that you're going to see them again. You want to believe that at the end of your life, there's something more to this life. I think you want to believe that there's a heaven waiting on you after this sinful world. I think you want to believe that there's a place with no more pain and no more crying and no more death, no car wrecks, never another bad phone call with bad news. I think you want to believe that. I think you want to believe there's a place with no more addiction and no sin and no shame and no cancer and no headaches and no divorce. No more exams, let's go. No struggles or stress or worry or anxiety or depression. No dementia or Alzheimer's or walkers or wheelchairs. Never a day or an hour or a minute of sadness. I think you want to believe that a place like that exists. And the only place to experience that, the only way to experience that is to believe in the death and the burial and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. So the question tonight is, do you believe it? We're 18 days on the other side of Easter. Jesus went to the cross for our sin. We know the story. He was raised again. And now the story seems over. Easter is over. He's risen from the dead. His disciples have seen him. I know you guys have been working through the book of John. John actually closes out chapter 20 pretty well. He puts a bow on this thing. John 20, verse 30 and 31, he says this. The disciples saw Jesus do many miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book. John's like, I've written some things that Jesus did, but it's only the highlights. I couldn't fill all the books in all of the world of all that he's done. But these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. So John wraps up his letter, the very end of chapter 20. Now the story surely is over. Jesus is risen. He's appeared to the disciples. He appeared to 500 witnesses at one time. It's historical, and the story is over. There was even a guy named Doubting Thomas. Maybe you've heard of him. 
And Doubting Thomas says, I won't believe unless I can put my fingers in his wounds, in his feet, and in his side. And Jesus, they're in locked doors. Jesus shows up through the wall and is like, here you go, my man. Put your hand right here. Put your hand right here in my side. Now stop being faithless and believe. And John's already told us, Thomas falls on his knees and says, my Lord and my God, I believe. The story is over. Roll the credits. Close the curtain. Cue the happy music. But then you flip the page and there's John 21. Why? Why is there John chapter 21? The story's over. John 21 verse 1. Later, Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. This is how it happened. Why is Jesus appearing again? Like the story's over. Just going back to heaven, Jesus. This thing's over. Here's what I don't want you to miss tonight. There's been one guy. There's been one man that's sort of been missing from these resurrection appearances. His name is Peter. You've probably heard of Peter. The last time we really heard from Peter, he had denied Jesus. He had failed Jesus. When Jesus was arrested, he told his disciples, he said, all of you are going to desert me. And Peter stands up and goes, not me, Jesus. Not your boy, Peter. I'm not going anywhere. Even if all these other fools desert you, I'm not going anywhere. I'm with you. And Jesus says, Peter, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter's like, Shh, not me. And so they come and they arrest Jesus. They take him to the court and they find him guilty and they spit in his face and they mock him and they beat him with their fists. And the Bible tells us that Peter follows closely behind into the courtyard and he's standing around a charcoal fire warming his hands because he was cold outside. Does anybody remember how cold it was on Easter? It's supposed to be cold on Easter. <laughs> the very first Easter it was cold because Peter was at this fire and he's warming his hands. And while he's warming his hands by the fire, a teenage girl sees him and she's like staring at him a little bit. She's like, hey, aren't you one of Jesus's boys? He's like, woman, I don't know what you're talking about. And then another guy sees him. He's like, you sound like him. Are you sure you're not one of his guys? Peter's like, I don't know what you're talking about. Second denial. And then an hour later, a third person says, hey, aren't you with him? And Peter says, I don't even know the man. And the Bible says, while Peter was still speaking, the rooster crowed. I bet Peter wanted to punt that stupid rooster. <laughs> Jesus makes eye contact with Peter. Can you imagine the shame of making eye contact with Jesus after you've denied him three times? And the Bible tells us that Peter runs away from the courtyard weeping bitterly. He had failed Jesus. He had let Jesus down. He was embarrassed. He's humiliated. He's full of guilt. He's full of shame. Have you ever been where Peter is? Like in a room this size, many of us walked in tonight finding ourselves right where Peter is. Like you've tried the Jesus thing, but it just didn't work. Like you've caved back into temptation. You've caved back into that relationship. Maybe it's sexual sin. Maybe it's addiction. Whatever it is, you're embarrassed and you think the story is over for you. Peter thinks the story's over for him. Maybe you made promises to Jesus that you couldn't keep. And you're wondering where that leaves you with Jesus. Maybe you think this whole Jesus thing sounds like nonsense. You'd be in really good company because that's what the disciples of Jesus thought too. Maybe you think this gospel is for everyone else to enjoy, but it's not just for you. It's just not for you. 
You're too far gone. Too many mistakes. I drove two and a half hours a day to tell you the greatest news in the world, that your story is not over. It wasn't over for Peter. John's gospel won't end. John will not put his pen down until Peter has been brought back in. That's why John 21 is written. It's not over until Peter experiences Jesus for himself. Jesus doesn't want your story to be over until you experience him for yourself. So tonight, if you feel far from Jesus, you're doing your own thing, you're living life your own way, you feel like you failed him, you let him down, maybe you're too far gone, John chapter 21 is written for you. Don't miss it tonight. Later. After he's murdered on the cross, after he walked out of the grave, after he appeared to 500 witnesses later, maybe it's 18 days after that very first Easter, which is where we are today. Later, Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. This is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there. Our boy Peter, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, also nicknamed Doubting Thomas, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. I love this. How would you like to be those other two guys? It's like, what the heck, John? I mean, these other guys get named, right? Like, uh, who we got here? We got Thomas. We got Peter. We even got Thomas's nickname. We got where Nathaniel's from. And then we got these other two guys. You ever been, uh, there's a picture on Instagram, like, you're the only one not tagged? Like, well, what do you do? Like, it was my wife's birthday a couple of weeks ago, and somebody put a picture of her on social media, and my shoulder was in the picture, and I'm cut out. I'm like, what do you do? You tag yourself? That's what these guys are dealing with. Kind of lame. We got all these guys here, and then we got two other losers that we're not even going to mention their name. Verse 3. Peter said, I'm going fishing. Now, there's biblical scholars that are a lot smarter than me, and they debate on why Peter's going fishing. Why is he going fishing? Maybe he just likes to fish. Maybe he hates his wife, and he's just looking for a night with the boys. I don't know why he's fishing, but I'll tell you what I think. I think Peter's going fishing because Peter has failed Jesus. And fishing is what Peter did before he met Jesus. I think Peter's going back to his old way of life. He failed Jesus. He let him down. When it was the time of the cross, he was in some field feeling shame and guilt. It didn't work out with Jesus, so Peter's going back to his old way of life. I think this is a career move. I think this is a lifestyle move. I think Peter is moving away from the Jesus way of life, and he's going back to the Peter way of life. Fishing. If I tell my wife, I'm going to play basketball, she's going to have a lot of questions. You going outside to play with the kids, basketball? You, you going to the YMCA to play? You joining in a league where you're going to be going, gone every Monday night, leaving me with these three kids to play basketball? What do you mean you're going to play basketball? Well, I remember when the greatest basketball player of all time, Michael Jordan, some of y'all think it's LeBron James. I'll fight you in the parking lot right after this. I will. Michael Jordan, the greatest of all time. I'm older Old enough to remember when Michael Jordan quit basketball to go play baseball. How stupid was that? Terrible baseball player. But I remember when he had a press conference to announce that he was going back to play basketball. And when Michael Jordan said, I'm going to play basketball, nobody said, what do you mean, Mike? In the driveway with the kids? YMCA, a rec league on Monday night? When Michael Jordan said, I'm going back to play basketball, everybody knew it was a career move. 
Everybody knew he said, I was leaving baseball where I was terrible, and I'm going back to basketball where I can be successful. That's what Peter's doing. I'm leaving Jesus where I was terrible and failed. I'm going back to fishing where I can have some success. I think this is a career move because the text tells us he fishes all night long. You don't fish all night long unless it's a lifestyle move or unless you really hate your wife. So he fishes all night long. Peter said, I'm going fishing. We'll come too, the other disciples said. So they went out in the boat, but they caught nothing all night. They fish all night long, but come up empty in the morning. I shouldn't be honest with you. This always happens when you try to live your life apart from Jesus. You always come up empty in the morning. Maybe this has happened to you. You're discouraged, and so you go back to your old way of life. Just anything to keep yourself busy or distract yourself. You go all night long. Sometimes you go night after night, but you come up empty, never satisfied. And it happens to Peter. You can feel his discouragement. Ten hours of night fishing and not even a nibble on the hook. Verse 4. But when the dawn was now breaking, it's about to be a new day, a fresh start for Peter. I'm convinced it's time for some fresh starts in the room. Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples didn't know that it was Jesus. So Jesus said to them, children, you don't have any fish to eat, do you? Now that translation of children is not very good because what he really says is little boys. (laughs) Jesus goes to a, a boat full of grown men who are tired and haven't caught a fish in 10 hours and he yells from the beach, little boys, you haven't caught anything, have you? You know what he's really saying? The way you're living your life, it's not working, is it? They answered him, no. Things aren't going well. We haven't caught a thing. They think Jesus is just being mean here? I mean, why does he let Peter go 10 hours of night fishing and doesn't even get a nibble on the hook? I mean, I don't know if they had corks back then, but could you at least let the cork go down? Like, tease me into thinking I'm going to catch something? Is Jesus being mean here and he just shows up on the beach to rub Peter's face in it? Is that what he's doing? Absolutely not. Jesus is loving Peter by not letting him catch a thing. He is pursuing Peter. He's coming after Peter. He loves Peter. and He's not just going to let him walk away back to fishing. Back to being a fisherman. He comes after him. This is what you do as a parent. Like you got a kid playing in the street and cars are zooming by him. Nah, it's third kid. I got two more. You would never do that. That's weird, right? Jesus says, I'm coming after you, Peter. I think Jesus is coming after some folks in the room tonight. Like your old way of life is just not working anymore. And you know how you know sometimes Jesus is coming after you? Because your life gets complicated. Things start to get unsettled in your life. He starts showing you that the way you're living is not working. You go all night long at whatever you want to go at, and you don't catch anything. You come up empty. You come up not satisfied going, there's got to be something more. And Jesus is like, I am the more. Little boys, you haven't caught anything, have you? No, we haven't caught a thing. Verse 6. Then he said, throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you'll, you'll catch some. Can you picture Peter? Oh, try the right side. Oh, we've been out here 10 hours and the guy, the brainiac on the beach, try the other side. 
switch the nets from this side to this side? Who is this guy on the beach anyway? But they do. They put it over on the right side, and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Some of us are like, wait a minute, I've heard this story before. Guys can't catch any fish. Try the other side of the boat. Maybe you read it here, or maybe you read it in Luke 7, because this is exactly what happened when Jesus called Peter the first time. In Peter's biggest moment of failure, Jesus is taking Peter back to the very beginning where the relationship started, and he's going, the relationship's still here for you, Peter, if you want it. And three years ago, Peter fell on his knees, and he followed Jesus. And so now Peter's having some deja vu. Remember, he doesn't know this is Jesus on the beach. He's like, who is this guy? Then the disciple Jesus loved, John, who's writing this, said to Peter, it's the Lord. You know what I think he's saying? Peter, that's Jesus on the beach and he's coming for you. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, for he had stripped for work, jumped into the water and headed to shore. The others stayed with the boat and pulled the loaded net to the shore, for they were only about 100 yards From shore, Peter sees that it's Jesus and he can't help himself. He jumps off the boat to get to Jesus. It makes no sense. The Bible tells us he puts on clothes and then jumps in the water. How stupid is that? Then it says he's 100 yards from shore. It would have been a lot quicker to stay in the boat. Can you picture the disciples rowing like, Peter, what are you doing? Right, They're passing him. They're getting to the beach way faster than he is. Peter doesn't care. He can't help himself. He has to get to Jesus. When Jesus calls your name, it was at an FCA event many years ago when Jesus called my name. I had to get to him. It wasn't pretty. Like, I bet this wasn't a beautiful swan dive off the boat to get to Jesus. I bet he fumbled his way off. But when Jesus calls your name, you don't really care what other people think. You got to get to him. So Peter jumps in. He puts clothes on. He tumbles into the water to get to Jesus. Verse 9. When they got to the shore, they found breakfast waiting for them. Fish cooking over a charcoal fire. Where did Jesus get the fish? I don't know. I'm hoping one of y'all know. I don't know. If I know where he got He's He's God. He probably just said fish. And they started jumping up on the bank. I have no idea. Maybe I thought you would know. And some bread. Bring some of the fish you just caught, Jesus said. So Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net to the shore. There were 153 large fish, and yet the net hadn't torn. Now, some of you biblical scholars, do you know what the number 153 means in the Bible? The significance of 153? Nothing. (laughs) It doesn't mean anything. It means somebody counted the stupid fish. You know what it really means? Is that John is an eyewitness account to this story, and he's giving you details because he wants you to know this story really happened. There were 153 fish. They were 100 yards from shore. Peter put on clothes to jump into the boat. He wants you to know this is an eyewitness account. This is not some fairy tale. Now come and have some breakfast, Jesus said. Let me ask you a question. We start to kind of wrap up here. Let me ask you a question. When you mess up, and we all do, every person in here messes up and falls short of God's glory. And you try to go back to Jesus. Do you picture a kind Jesus or a mean Jesus? It's very important for your faith. I mean, Jesus on the beach. Hey, Peter, get over here and sit down. Why did you jump in the water, you idiot? These other guys got here 10 minutes faster than you. 
I told you you were going to deny me. Not once, not twice, but three times. Get over here, Peter. Sit on the beach and let's start talking about the things you're going to have to do to get back in the right relationship with me. Is that what Jesus does? Jesus says, come have some breakfast. He's so kind. He's so full of grace. He's so slow to anger. He's the shepherd that leaves the 99 to go get the one dumb sheep that never can get it right. He's like the father who comes running after the son that blew all of the money on wild living. Compassionate, full of mercy, full of grace. Let's have breakfast. I don't know what your relationship with Jesus looks like right now, but it ought to look a lot like breakfast on the beach where you just rest and you don't have to earn anything and you realize there's nothing you could do today to make him love you anymore and there's nothing you could do today to make, you, make him love you any less. He's like, come have breakfast. Just come spend time with me. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. I don't know what gave it away. Probably fish jumping off the bank onto the charcoal fire. Verse 13. Then Jesus served them the bread and the fish This was the third time Jesus had appeared to his disciples since he had been raised from the dead. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John. Your mama ever use your full name? Ryan William Maloney, get over here, right? That's what Jesus is doing a little bit right here. He's not being mean. He's not using the tone my mama used, but he's trying to get Peter's attention here. Peter, son of John, do you love me more than these? That's really important. Because Jesus invites Peter for breakfast, but he's also going to make Peter deal with his sin. He says, do you you love me more than these? He's going to ask him three times. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Did you notice that it said charcoal fire? When's the last time we saw charcoal fire? When he was warming his hands, right? When he denied Jesus, there's only two times in the whole Bible where charcoal fire is used in this right here. Jesus is taking Peter back to his moment of failure. And he says, do you love me more than these? Who are the these? Are they the disciples? Maybe. Because that's what Peter had bragged earlier, right? Even if all of these leave you, I never will leave you. So maybe it's the disciples. Maybe it's the fish. That's his old way of life. And so maybe Jesus is saying, do you love me more than this old way of life? Maybe Jesus said these and covered everybody. I have no idea. But he asked him three times. Why do you think he asked him three times? Because he denied him three times. He's making Peter face his sin. And Peter says, yes, you know I love you. And it's almost like Jesus is like, well, come on then. Let's forget what is in the past and let's press forward. Let's get back on the right path together. I'm going to build my church with you, Peter. you got an important role to play. I really want you to hear that same invitation is there for you tonight. Like the same invitation that Peter got, that the gospel is not just for everybody else. It's for you. It's personal. And he doesn't want the story to end until it's real for you. And that story I told you up front, Baby comes out in the car, front seat, driving down the road. I'm freaking out. I cut the little light on above, and our little girl, Hyatt, is just looking around, not crying. I I tell you that story because I've never experienced the peace of God like I did in that car. 
like in a moment knowing everything's going to be all right. Like she's going to be all right. She's fine. We're going to make it. I think God wants you to experience that same kind of peace tonight, that your story's not over, that it might be just beginning with him. I speak to people all the time, and I, I, I just know that some of you walked in here thinking your story with Jesus is over. You screwed up. You've gone back into the same sin. You've gone back into the temptation. You've gone back into the relationship. And you're like, I, I've tried the Jesus thing, and it's not working. And Jesus invites you. So how will you respond? You can keep fishing if you want. You can keep going night after night if you want. Or you can jump off the boat. You can jump off the boat and get back to him. And it doesn't have to look pretty. You don't have to clean yourself up to jump in. You can put clothes on if you want. <laughs> but if he's calling you, if he's pursuing you, that's an invitation you just can't pass on. So maybe some of you will respond tonight. We sing a couple of songs. I'll be down in the corner. I, I, you, I know you don't know me. If you want somebody to pray with, I'll be right here. I'm just a weird, really attractive bald guy that's here. But then some people your age are around here on the prayer and encouragement team with the, with the glow bands. If you need somebody to pray with, somebody to talk to, I sat in a room just like this in an FCA van. I don't remember what the guy said. I don't even remember who the guy was, but I knew Jesus was calling my name that night. I had to jump in. Let me pray for you as we close. Lord, I love your word. I love how personal it is. I love that John wouldn't put his pen down in his gospel until Peter was brought back into the story. I don't know how many people here, several hundred tonight. I just wonder who tonight are you going, ah, this thing's not over for them. I'm still coming after them. I love them. people wrestle with that, Lord, I, I pray your Holy Spirit would talk. I pray they would jump in. That they would leave their way of life and surrender to you. So whatever decision folks need to make, whether it's sitting in their seat or coming down and praying with somebody, I pray that you would move them. It's in your great name that we pray. Amen.